We receive the gospel this morning from Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whenever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. May the Lord bless the reading, the hearing, the holy word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we give you thanks for this day, for this opportunity to gather here, for the opportunity for renewal, which of course is the theme of our Romans passage. And we ask that it would not be lost on us that we come to renew, but we also come to renew others, that we might be able to draw sustenance from your Holy Spirit. Lead us forth in integrity and authenticity, in courage and in humility. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be an offering to you. May you find it pleasing. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as I've been moving through Romans, we have been working our way up, momentum, 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 to this verse, which I find particularly powerful. Some years ago, when we were having the confirmation program, and it depends on the year, it depends on the class, sometimes I would have the students choose verses that they felt they either wanted to grow into or they felt were inspirational to them. But this particular year, with this particular class, I wanted to choose verses for them that I felt they had, through the arc of their study, had sort of inhabited. And I remember choosing this passage today about renewing of one's mind. I chose that for Corbin Jones, for those of you who know Corbin Jones, because he so accurately fit a young man who came into confirmation with all of the the annoyance that any child would come into confirmation with whose parents are like, you're going to do this, I had to do it, you're going to do it, which is a horrible, first of all, for those of you who are trying to encourage grandkids or children to go to confirmation, don't shame them into it, right? Don't say, I had to be punished with confirmation, so now it's your turn as you sit there wringing your hands together. Because that's, that's just horrible motivation. Because they come in, they sit down in front of the pastor, and they go, all right, convince me. Right? Because you're just another one of those adult figures that I have to deal with. So Corbin came in with that sort of side eye. But he trusted the process. He trusted the program. And as he made his way through the ark, I saw a young man who came in full of questions, full of doubt, full of suspicion. And he began to open himself up to the renewal that the biblical studies presented to him. So I felt that on the day of confirmation, this was somebody who had been forged, 
forged on his journey, somebody who wasn't, who still had questions, obviously. Anyone who's taking their faith seriously will have questions. But the level of cynicism and rejection had sort of dissipated. It was quite an incredible thing to watch during the course of, of his time in confirmation. And the reason why I begin today's message with a story of confirmation is because for many of us, that is really where our formal biblical instruction sort of ends. We go to confirmation, we get ourselves crammed full of biblical ideas, concepts, the imprint of whatever said congregation we were in when we were confirmed, and then we figure we're good to go. We get into our adult years, maybe we fall away from the church for a while, maybe there's a crisis that brews up in our lives, maybe we come back to the church to get married, you know those types, right? Come back for the church because it's, that's where you're supposed to get married. Except more and more weddings are starting to move outdoors now. So it's like God can come to us. So there's that sense in which the formative instruction that we have in confirmation gets shelved. Our conversations with, jo with, with God become more infrequent. And we think of ourselves as, as people who can find God in the outdoors and in nature and other types of findings. At least this is what's been <laughs> reported back to me as a, as a minister who's wondering, where have all the worshipers gone? They're like, oh, they're outdoors, William. That's where they are. They're on the river. They're walking in the wilderness. They're finding God in places you haven't even considered. <laughs> they're just trying to pull a fast one. <laughs> but Paul is talking about the renewing of our minds to offer ourselves as a spiritual means of sacrifice to recognize that the verbalization of faith attributes is one little tiny aspect, but Paul is inviting us into an embodiment of faith and action. When an individual then comes into contact with us, it's like coming into contact with the very means of grace where our actions and our language is all infused into a desire for, for service, for uplift, for encouragement. In case you, if you've been paying attention these past few weeks, I've been trying to get us back to a sense of civility, a sense where we realize that we are going to, we are called to share our communities with individuals who have very divergent opinions from our own, different aspirations, different life choices, yet we can still be partners towards building an effective community that we want to live in. And, and if somehow you feel like, is that, is that where he's been going all this time? You can go and check the reel, right? Mary and I work very hard to make sure that some of these things are sequestered on YouTube. Some of them make it, some of them don't. Some of them have, you know, dodgy audio, some picture goes out. But we do our best to try to make sure that there's an archive in case any of you want to follow the actual trajectory of my odd thought. <laughs> but this renewing of the mind is something that I really feel that we need to revisit. Because life does get in the way. And I don't believe that our spiritual expression and our faithful expression is an add-on. I believe it is the sum total of who we are and the best of who we are when we go and engage with the world. That as a matter of fact, the, the very formation of our spiritual being is the basis for our good and decent work. 
And we don't think about, oh, I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm a teacher first, or I'm a retiree, or I'm a grandmother, or I'm a grandfather, I'm, I, I've started my own business. Oh, and, 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 and I go to church. And we tack that on as well. Extra adjective. I believe that a person of faith is the meta umbrella in which it informs everything else that we do. So our faith then informs how we uh, deal with our grandchildren, how we conduct our business, how we interact with our spouse, how we deal with strangers and friends and relatives alike. I believe that our faith is the very moral compass that guides us so we can make it through the day without destroying ourselves or someone else, whether it is emotionally or physically, where we can actually just get through the day with a sense of we've accomplished something and blessed some lives along the way. So Paul's invitation to call us into thinking about what it means to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, is something that we need to think about that when we, when we plant ourselves down in, in, in pews, when we, when we conduct ourselves in corporate worship, when we open our daily devotionals and we read and we set that time aside, what I like to call the appointment with God, when we set that time aside to be present with God, we are drawing on the strength of the Holy Spirit we are asking ourselves to be renewed for the day's journey. We always have a, an idea of what the day might present to us, who we might interact with, what errands we might have to run, but we don't quite know the full content of those conversations and those exchanges. We don't know if we're going to be presented with a, an unexpected surprise, which will absolutely brighten our mood. We have no idea if, if there's going to be some disappointing, jarring, alarming news that might be visited upon us which can completely dishevel our composure. But to be open to the renewal is to know that you do not walk alone, that God is with you, and that God is informing and shaping you throughout the hours as you go through the course of the day. And realize that every exchange that you can have can leave an individual blessed or can leave them feeling demoralized. When Jesus turned to Peter and says, the things that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, the things that you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about, you know, what, what sins of your own and what sins of others do you want to retain? What, what angers, what, what uh, frustrations do you want to persist in? What momentum do you want to yield in order to maintain a grudge? See, we don't think about that. We don't think about it. Every time that we express dissatisfaction with someone else, every time that we continue to, to carry that burdensome thing, we are actually slowing down our own momentum for the, the blessings and the grace that we can bring as sons and daughters of the light. We impede our own ability to be able to convey a sense of grace because there's some issue that continues to just gnaw and chip away at us and it becomes burdensome and it robs us of sleep and it robs us of composure and it robs us of even a decent demeanor. We should not be suspicious of the person who actually lets offenses go, of a person who is quick to forgive, slow to judge. We shouldn't question them and say, 
They have an ulterior motive. They're only being kind because they want something. They're only being nice because they're working an angle. Why do we always have to be suspicious when somebody's like, actually, I just, I don't need that stress in my life. I don't need that burden in my life. I've let that go because it is caustic to me. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that goes viral because before you know, you take, you take the one sour person in the room. You ever gone to a party? And there's the one person who actually doesn't want to be at the gathering. And so they continue to grouse about not wanting to be here because my spouse made them there and I don't know anybody and there's no good music and the food is And then before you know it, either everyone has the, the wherewithal to avoid that, that one person or they get kind of sucked into their vortex of negativity and they go, yeah, I don't want to be here either. Hate these things. Right? And before you know it, boom, 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 you've got all of these people who are like supposed to be happy and you know enjoying things. Now all of a sudden they're all grousing around and the host is like, what happened to my party? <laughs> what happened to my gathering? Who let that person in here? Infecting everybody with their, 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 their dissatisfaction. You know that happens in churches too. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. No, you know, spoiler alert. It happens in churches. We come in, we're going to be close to the God. We're going to praise God. Woo, we're going to get high in the spirit. And someone's like, you're in my pew. And that's where it starts. It starts right there. And they give you that hard stare from across the aisle. Oh, I know I said this story before, but it's worth, it's worth repeating because it just, it just reminds me of the level of intractability that we can get with when we get territorial in our, in our worship space. Laura was an interim pastor in Highland, California. It doesn't really matter unless you're familiar with Southern California. But anyway, while she was in her interim, I, I had a Sunday off that I could go and worship with her in, in her space. So, and it was strange. The congregation had dwindled down to such a, a, an insignificant size that, that everyone just sat on one side of the church. It's a massive congregation, but everyone just sat on one side. So that was, that was already sort of jarring. But in order to keep the peace and not to, to ruin the interim pastor's deal, I decided to play along. So I found a nice little pew, sort of midway back, kind of, you know, you know where Mita used to sit? I kind of I planted myself in that area midway. And I sat down and, and I grabbed my hymnal, getting ready for the day. It's kind of one of the, I wanted to mark my, my hymns. But there were all these bookmarks in there. I was like, this hymnal's all trashed up. <laughs> so started taking all the bookmarks out, right? I'm, 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 I'm cleaning it up. What I didn't notice was the woman who was just, just, just down the way in the pew giving me the hardest of stares. Hard stare. Like, like if looks could kill stare. And I was like, what's her problem? She ain't never seen a black man in worship before, right? You know, so I was just like, okay, come on, Jack. I'll take that action. I continued to clean my little pew up and get ready for worship service. And I worshiped and I worshiped. And Laura's like, um, when she got home, she's like, you know, she goes, uh, you were sitting in Helen's pew. And, and, and that was her hymnal. And you pulled all her bookmarks out. I said, we're owning hymnals now? She goes, well, she's, you know, she's, she's got all of her Great places, and that's why she was kind of giving. I said, I said, I didn't notice that someone was giving me a hard stare. I said, I didn't know it was about the hymnal. But that story reminds me, this is why I've always been so, you know, I always crack jokes about sitting in people's pews because I want to lighten the mood so we don't become the kind of people who would, 
who would become an impediment to someone might saying, hey, First Congregational, what's, what's going on in there? You know, because there's only so many places to sit, right? Visitors are going to want to sit down. We can't say, oh, lay out a roll of folded chairs there for the visitors so you don't offend any of the, any of the local flora and fauna. No, no, you, you want to make sure that if someone sits in your pew, great, now you've got company. Because as you can see, we've, we've got some opening spaces. If someone comes and meddles with your, with your hymnal and cleans it up, maybe it should show you you should stop hoarding bookmarks in your hymnal. I don't know, maybe. You should be open to, to the change that the Spirit is going to blow into your worship space or into your life at any given moment. That's what it means to me as part of what it means to be renewed and offering yourself as a spiritual sacrifice. Being open to being inconvenienced because God wants to demonstrate something to you. So we should be open to that inconvenience. We should be open to those hardships. We should be open to the stranger who doesn't understand our weird protective custody of the hymnal and he goes all crazy with it trying to clean it up, <laughs> right? It's not like I went to her house and threw her garage open and says, oh no, oh no, we got to do something about this because your car can't get in there. No, no, that would be a bit too much. That, that would be a bit, uh, you know, invasive. But it's a, it's a public worshiping space. You want visitors, you want outsiders, you want new faces, you want new conversations because in those conversations create new opportunities for learning, new opportunities for direction, new opportunities for service, new partnerships, new friendships, maybe something more if you're in the market and not married. No, let's not, this is not the church of what's happening, okay? But there's that sense in which you have to think about greeting each day with a sense of how might the Holy Spirit renew me today? And not just me for me's sake, right? We're just going out there like, what, do I, what are you going to give me, God? No, no, no. What, do you, what, what service opportunities? What new conversations? What new dimensions? What things that I haven't considered might you lay in my path today? And how well... Am I going to greet them? Am I going to greet them as this like, this is what you want me to learn? This is who you want me to interact with, right? We, we get this sort of dour attitude when, when, the, when, the, when the really difficult to love person shows up and calls us for the 17th time. And we're like, can you lose my number, please? Can you just forget you knew me? But maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn for that moment. Because as we continue to have these engagements and just submit ourselves to the moment, maybe then we actually truly find out how great a service we are providing just being present with the individual. No words needed. Just being present. Let their story wash over us because the message is we're this big sweetie. We care because we listen. When everyone else is too busy, everyone else is on the move. Everyone else is imagining that their time is so much more precious than it really is. Time is precious in the event that we only have so much of it, but it's not so precious that we should run away from those God has called us to serve. Right? That if we have an opportunity to delay our plans, to change our schedule, in order that there might be an opportunity for the service and, and a true authentic meaning of exchange of ideas, of time, of, of grace, then that is where we need to be. And that is the moment that God wants us to have. And I feel that 
when Paul talks about us entering into this, this opportunity for spiritual renewal with a sense of humility, that cannot be underscored. And, and, and when he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, this is a danger of anyone who's ever had any level of accomplishment. Because we start to feel good about something. We've, we've figured out the problem. We have solved it. We've, we, we were accomplished. And I, I love the sense of being accomplished, but not at the expense of me being able to point at everyone else who is not as accomplished. Accomplishment is not an invitation for us to rank ourselves as above those who have not yet solved the problem we have mastered. And we have to be mindful of that. So much of the practice of faith is a sense of mindfulness, thinking about, thinking about what we think we're projecting, but then listening enough to our audience to actually find out what it is we're actually projecting. We might think that we're projecting strength, but it might be perceived as arrogance. We might think that we're projecting a sense of uh, humor and someone else thinks it's mocking. We might have a sense that we're projecting that, uh, that, that, that we are really being present with someone and somebody else is like, you're just waiting for your turn to talk. So we have to be able to, to be able to leverage our own sense of self and how we carry ourselves with what we're hearing back from those we're in conversation with. Because that's the means of exchange. That's, that's the happening. Why do you think Jesus posed that question to his disciples? Who, who do people say I am? Because Jesus knows as he's going about and he's doing his open air ministry, people are talking. They're like, oh, there's that Jesus. He opened a man's eyes who was born blind. Oh, there goes that Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, eating with unclean hands. He's wrong. And then the Pharisees are like, there's that Jesus. He won't roll with us. He's smart like us, but we're smarter because we know our place. He runs around with all them unemployed. So, so Jesus is like, what's, what's the going word? What do they say? Who do they think I am? They go, well, maybe John the Baptist? Maybe Elijah? Well, who do you say that I am? Right? You've spent time with me. You've done ministry with me. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, got to be the Messiah. That's just my guess, right? <laughs> so he's like, Blessed are you, Peter, because this is not something that has been given to you externally, that God gave this to you, right? Peter allowing himself to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, to, be, to have his understanding informed by the Holy Spirit. Is that not an invitation for each and every one of us also? It's not just exclusive to Peter. Peter didn't just get it because he was like hanging out with the guy. Look, we've been through the scriptures. We know that Peter often was an impetuous character who would speak out of turn, who would try to understand things that he didn't quite understand, who would try to get out of the boat and walk on the water before he realized what it was he was asking. So Peter is somebody that we can definitely attach ourselves to because I say Peter was salt of the earth, sometimes thinking before speaking, sometimes acting before really weighing the consequences, sometimes just being all so hot in the moment that he just wanted to be able to have an opinion. And we can get like that too and get gummed up with the, with the enthusiasm of just being part of something. I just want to be part of something. Well, be careful what you volunteer for. But this mindfulness is something that we should infuse with each day. And if you're not in the practice of doing daily devotionals, you might want to reconsider that. 
There's so many different devotionals. Whether, you, whether you're still using the old school ones, whether they're the upper rooms or the, or the daily breads, whether you're using the old school ones, the print edition, or if you're getting them email or text or social media, a daily devotional is a great way to anchor yourself for the day because it gives you some scripture to read, maybe a little write-up, a prayer. You think about that. And some people say, well, that scripture doesn't really speak to me today. All scripture speaks to you every day. Let's not get so arrogant to say, yeah, well, they were reading from Psalms today, but I'm more of a Proverbs guy. Okay, let's, you know, let's just mm, work with the scripture. Work with the scripture. Say, all right, God, here is your word for today. I don't know what's on the docket for the day, but I'm going to be in this word. I'm going to spend some time with it. And then I'm going to go. I'm going I'm I'm to engage this day remembering that you were with me. And I'm going to keep my senses open so that way you can inform everything that happens, whether I'm just running simple errands, putting fuel in the car, whether I'm mowing the lawn, whether I'm concentrating on a big deal at work, whether I've got something going on, I got a loved one in the hospital, my own health is kind of weird. Doesn't matter. You know that in that moment, God is with you. And that you're being renewed. Every incremental moment of the day, you are not walking alone. You are walking in the companionship of a God who renews, who understands, who uplifts. Now, that's the kind of person I don't want to come into contact with, right? Because if I come into contact with a person that I know is being fed by the Holy Spirit, and that's just going to rub off. Right? That's going to rub up on me. But I don't know. See, I don't know who that person might be. So that's why I'm trying to play to the widest possible audience. At the widest possible audience, if they are mindful of God with them, not only does that change how we conduct ourselves in the public sphere, but it also changes each person who comes into contact with us, whether it's the simple person in this, in this not simple as in simple, but if it's the person in the service industry that we only have an exchange with, like across the counter, or if it's people who are in our own households who we've had years with. Everyone who comes into contact with us, if we are operating out of that understanding that we are the vessels who actually carry God's hope and aspiration into the world, don't mess with those spiritual byways if you don't want to be changed. Because when you enter into that stuff, you get enveloped. You think and you act and you live differently. That's what it means to be renewed. That's what it means to be in that Holy Spirit lane. And maybe that's why people just have avoided church, because they know its power. They know its influence. They know that you can't just sit idly by and and have a casual moment with God. That all moments are full contact, all engagement, life transforming. And they know that. And that frightens people. That frightens them because there's a sense in which they they like the way their lives are ordered. They like being able to to be the the, the kings and queens of their own castle. They like being able to feel as if somehow they're operating uh, without any strings, without any other influence. That they're in this vacuum, as John Donne says, that they are an island. But we know better. We know that there are times of our life when we are operating at peak. It's because we have been so plugged into the spirit that we just feel like God's will and our will, it's synonymous. 
we feel that surge. We feel the uplift. We, we feel like in, in times of, of great distress, we should feel as if we are losing composure, but we are not because the Spirit is renewing us and filling us and giving the strength for the, for the moment. And, and I will speak on their behalf because, because I know that they have this, but when the Brooks family was, was waiting upon their granddaughter to get that, that kidney transplant. When we, as a congregation, were waiting for Mary to get her transplant, we know what it's like to have someone who's in the balance and you, and, and you feel like, w w I'm, I'm powerless to do anything, but you go, wait a minute, hold on, I can pray. I can be present with this. I can continue to direct myself towards the best possible outcome. Best possible outcome. So that means you have to give up some of that level of control. And you allow God to, to fill in those gaps. This is, what, this is what the world needs. The world needs people who are non-anxious presence. I want to be in the company of individuals who don't bring more anxiety and stress to an already anxious and tense world. I want to be with individuals who can, who, can, who can just hold a space even without words, who can let you know that they are surrogates for that Holy Spirit that envelops the entire globe. A few moments in that kind of peace is going to give me the resolve, and it's going to give you the kind of resolve that keep pushing forward. But somebody who comes and disturbs that peace reminds you somehow, well, what was your fault in that? You didn't cover this. What were you wearing? And heaping more and more misfortune upon an already weary soul is going to dishevel your peace. We need to hear more accounts of how the Spirit is with us and renewing us and strengthening us and how we are the living, breathing examples of that peace. Maybe you didn't want to hear that. Maybe you didn't want to have to hear about how responsible we are for carrying that light into the world, but that's the deal. This is what people don't understand when they come to this font. They come to this font, oh, we want to get baptized, we can get baptized. Great, I will do your baptism, but do you realize what comes after that? Do you realize the responsibility that you are now placing on this child or on this individual who is now coming to this font? Because I can, I, can, I can do the ritual washing, but are you ready to engage the Holy Spirit when it drives you into the wilderness as it did Jesus when he rose up out of the waters? It's like, Jesus, you can't, there's no time for Jack John with, with John. You, you got to get into the wilderness because we have to test you. Because when we test you, then you're going to come out, then you're going to change the world. You're called disciples. You will call them so infectiously that they will drop their nets, gainfully employed, and they'll just, they'll just walk away. They'll be like, Jesus, we're coming. We're coming with you, baby. And so that's it. It's like this, this is our call. This is our invitation to be renewed. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for some life transformation? Because if you're not, don't ask for it. But if you ask for it, you're going to get it. <laughs> and you, will, you will get so much of it that you're like, whoa, okay. Um, it's, it's a little bit larger helping than I'm used to. <laughs> but oh, if you think I can handle this, and you're with me, and you will guide me, then let's do it.